what that must have been. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Title of today's message, Prayer Changes the World. In this instant, it certainly does. It impacts the world that Daniel is a man of prayer. It impacts Jerusalem that Daniel is a man of prayer. The, the temple um, that would be rebuilt and worshipped at is impacted by this man's faithfulness to pray. Um, when you think about um, prayer opportunities, prayer gatherings, praying as an individual, um, inviting God to do what he already wants to do, a uh, definition of prayer, the impact that comes. I think in Acts chapter 3 is a neat situation where Peter is going to prayer meeting. And as he's going to prayer meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that's when they prayed. That would have been one of the times that Daniel would pray three times a day. And as Peter's going to prayer meeting, he comes upon a crippled man. And to speed the story up, he says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. If Peter would have stayed home from prayer meeting that night, that man would still be a cripple. But because he went to prayer meeting, it changed that man's life. Daniel's faithfulness to pray in Daniel chapter 6 impacts the world. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we look at this faithful man, this now old Daniel, still resolved, still faithful, still praying three times a day um, in a foreign country, longing to return and longing for his people, your people, to return to Judah and specifically Jerusalem. Help us to learn from Daniel and be faithful like him. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look, if, if you wanted to put chapters because the first half of Daniel is his life and the second half is his, his prophecy ministry, if you really wanted to put them in order, you would have the end of Daniel chapter 4 would be about um, 562 B.C., after that, he would have written Daniel chapter 7, about 553 B.C. After that, he would have written Daniel chapter 8, about 550 B.C. Then in Daniel chapter 5, we enter that room with the handwriting on the wall in 539 B.C. So as we step into Daniel chapter 6, we're actually stepping right immediately from chapter 5 into chapter 6. In 539 B.C., um, this would happen in that year, meaning approaching 538 B.C. It is simultaneously happening with Daniel chapter 9 in prophecy. So all of the prophecies given by Daniel, given by God to Nebuchadnezzar, given by God to Daniel, and given by God through Gabriel to Daniel. So three different ways Daniel receives prophecies of every nation that will rule in the times of the Gentiles and who they will be. We're given that in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel chapter 8. So in all three of those, in, in different metaphors, we're told the same story that Babylon will rule first, and then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, and then ultimately the revived Roman Empire, which will be in the tribulation. So what happens when 
we look at the end of Daniel chapter 5 as we go from the head of gold immediately to the silver of Medo-Persia. So these three visions that have been given in Daniel's lifetime, Daniel entering Babylon in 605 B.C., it's now 539, getting to 538 B.C., Daniel's 80 years old. He's 14 years old in Daniel chapter 1. He is a pretty young man when he explains Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the kingdoms who will rule, and over a period of time, he has established all that we know from Daniel about these four kingdoms. Now the transfer happens to the first kingdom. Babylon is taken down. Medo-Persia is put in place. Let's read the end of Daniel chapter 5 because it's significant to chapter 6. Verse 29 of Daniel chapter 5, after he gives and explains to the king Belshazzar, your time is up, your life is over, your kingdom has ended. And it does. Then Belshazzar, in verse 29, did what he promised to do. He, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we set the stage here as we come into Daniel chapter 6. Cyrus is the king of all Medo-Persia. He is the top dog. If we looked at the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8, we see this, this sheep with two horns, and one horn is bigger than the other, and that's because Medo-Persia is an empire, but Persia is the bigger of the two that have joined together, and Persia is the one that will go forward. So when we get into the book of Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra, they're relating with Persia by that time, what is modern-day Iran. Um, the, the citadel of Susa would be a Persian empire. But Darius the Mede is appointed by Cyrus, who Isaiah says is anointed by God. Darius is appointed to rule over the Babylonian portion of the large Medo-Persian empire. So we enter that in Daniel's realm and his world in the kingdom that he's known as Babylonia. Now we have the ruler named Darius the Mede. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So here's a new king over a new kingdom, and he's establishing how he's going to rule this kingdom. This is 56 years before the book of Esther begins. The book of Esther begins with King Xerxes, the Persian, over the empire, and there are 127 provinces that he rules over. So 56 years earlier, there's 120 provinces, apparently, he rules over. So a satrap is going to be appointed to each one of them, and there will be an administrator over a group of 40 satraps. So with 120 
um, different provinces in this kingdom, there would be a satrap over each one, an administer over 40 of them, and then the king would not suffer loss. He would have accountability that would have form. So as we go forward, let's look first of all at Daniel chapter 9 to understand that the 77s that we know of that, that tell us the exact day that Jesus would come on Palm Sunday, that tell us the exact day that the Antichrist will sign a treaty and it will end seven day, years later. Daniel chapter 9 begins in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes. In other words, Darius here is the same Darius in chapter 6. We're in his first year. While he is setting up the satraps and the administrators, Daniel is about to receive the prophecy of the 77s. He is a Mede by descent. We just read that in Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. The Babylonian kingdom has just been taken over. The Medo-Persians now essentially rule the world, and of the Babylonian kingdom, it says here, he was made the king in that territory. And Cyrus would have been the one who would have made him king. Um, in that verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So when we read Daniel chapter 6, and we read that three times a day he would go and pray, and Daniel chapter 9, we read what he's praying. And if we would read this extensive prayer in chapter 9, he is repenting for Judah. He is saying, God forgive me, God forgive us, God, we don't, we're not worthy. He, he, he is in sackcloth and ashes, and he is saying, now Lord, your, your servants, your prophets, through Jeremiah have promised that this will last 70 years. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9 and in Daniel chapter 6, is in the 68th year since Daniel has been there. So by the time he receives um, this and by the time he's in the lion's den, drop down in Daniel 9 to verse 20, he has been praying the whole time between verse 2 and verse 20. While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin... And the sin of my people Israel, that's what Daniel prayed, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And he goes on to give him the 77s. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13. As we go back more than a century earlier from where we're at in Daniel, Isaiah chapter 13, before Babylon is a power, God prophesies 
the, the breaking down of Babylon. So you probably have something at the top of your chapter. Mine says a prophecy against Babylon. This whole chapter is a prophecy against the kingdom of Babylon. And it will include the takeover in Daniel chapter 5 as we look at verse 17. See, I will stir up against them the Medes. Darius the Mede takes over at the end of Daniel 5 at the beginning of Daniel 6 who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. They are a different type of kingdom than Babylon. Their bows will, strike, bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, they will, they, nor will they look with compassion on the children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and the glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. So, in this chapter, if we read all of it, we're going to read ourselves into Revelation 18. What, what Isaiah is writing about here is from the first time Babylon is knocked down and, and taken away from being a kingdom ruler anymore. And that is by the Medes and the Persians. And Darius the Mede will literally sit on a throne that hours before Belshazzar from Babylon was sitting on. So Isaiah is prophesying more than a century before Daniel that the Medes will occupy the Babylonians when God takes them down. Isaiah will then take us through all of the desolation that is given to Babylon, pointing up to Revelation 18, where Jesus himself, when he comes back in the tribulation, will step into Babylon personally and will destroy it personally so that in heaven forever, when you go outside the city of Jerusalem and you go to where Babylon was, there will be nothing there. If you go to where Sodom and Gomorrah was, way back in the book of Genesis today, where, where Abraham and Lot came into that territory and Lot looked down on the lush plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, we're too big to stay together. What do you want? He says, I want that. When you go there in 2021, there's nothing there. It's rocks. Nothing, nothing grows. Nothing lives there. Isaiah says that when Jesus destroys Babylon, finally, there will be nothing there forever. It will remind us in heaven about Babylon. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 25, as we read in Daniel chapter 9, which is, at the same time as Daniel chapter 6, he says, through the prophet Jeremiah, you have declared that it will be 70 years. So Isaiah is writing more than a century before Daniel. Jeremiah is writing while Daniel is in Daniel chapter 6. They are contemporaries. So a little while before Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, Jeremiah is sitting down by the Holy Spirit and he suddenly writes, 70 years is how long this is going to last. He, he then writes Jeremiah chapter 29, and he seals it up and sends it as a letter to Daniel in Babylon. Daniel reads the letter, and out of that comes Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel prays in response to Jeremiah's letter, and God gives him the 77s. We're going to pick up our text here in verse 11 of Jeremiah 
chapter 25. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever, just like Isaiah said. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 51. We could read extensively Jeremiah 29, where he literally tells us he's going to send Jeremiah 29 to the prophets in Babylon, meaning Daniel and Ezekiel. In Jeremiah, 50 and 51 is a prophecy like Isaiah 13. So Jeremiah 50 and 51, if we would go to the end, about verse 59 or 60 of chapter 51, this is all that God has determined would happen to Babylon. So from the beginning, back to the Tower of Babel, to the second coming of Jesus Christ, all of the takeovers of Babylon are listed. When we know that and we study these chapters, we even see the Iraq war in here that we watched on television. In chapter 51 and verse 27, he gives an account in three verses of the three takeovers and destructions of Babylon. The first one is the Gulf War. These are the exact nations that allied with the United States and the coalition during the Gulf War. In fact, the nations listed here were only allies with the United States in history during the Gulf War. And if we read all of chapter um, 50 and 51, we'll see many listings of things that we watched on television. We watched this war unfold on TV, and these things are written down by Jeremiah 600 years before Christ. So verse 27, he's going to give us a concise package where we have the three takeovers. Gulf War, Medo-Persians, Christ. Verse 27, lift up a banner in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for battle against her. Summon against, the, against her these kingdoms, Ararat, Turkey, many Iran, Ashkenaz, Europe, appoint a commander against her. You know who that is? George W. Bush. This is the coalition of nations that if we were going to take down Saddam Hussein in quick manner, we needed allies that are our enemies. On one side of Iraq, you have Iran, on the other side, you have Turkey. They're both Muslim extremists who hate America. But my enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they both hate Iraq. So when we watch this light show of these smart bombs literally being shot by jets, F-14s, right down the chimneys of buildings, 
hovering over Baghdad, which is where Daniel is in our story. Baghdad is where the city of Babylon, right on the Euphrates River, um, we're watching this light show. Where are all these planes coming from? They're coming from Iran and Turkey because they allowed us to have their airstrips. So this coalition that is listed here of Iran, Turkey, and Europe is the makeup of the Gulf War, and the commander is George Bush. Verse 28, we see what we're studying in Daniel chapter 5 and 6. Prepare the nations for battle against her, the kings of the Medes, their governors, that's effectively what Darius actually is, is a governor, and all their officials and all the countries they rule. How many? 120. That's why there's 120 satraps. So this is a, a precise description of what we're reading in Daniel 5 and 6. And then the destruction of Jesus Christ, which is Isaiah 13 and Revelation 18, comes in verse 29. The land trembles and writhes for the Lord's purposes against Babylon stand to lay waste the land of Babylon so that no one will live there. So heaven is going, Revelation 21 and 22, to come down to this planet, a city which would take up almost all of the Midwest is how big the city will be in heaven, and it will be as tall and wide as it is long. So the city itself will be so big on Jerusalem that more than all the people who have lived in history of humanity would fit in this city with no problem. Outside, we will have basically, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, the Garden of Eden, or the world as it originally was, except for Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon. Two bare patches on this beautiful earth because of what they have done and what they have done to God's people. Turn back to Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, he is realizing, because he is, as at the same time as Daniel chapter 9, what is happening, what God is going to do, and a, a legitimate question by Daniel would be how, and, and we'll see that question answered in part by Daniel's faithfulness. Reading on verse 3. So I turn to the Lord God. Oops, I'm in Daniel 9. Sorry about that. Chapter 6 and verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, just like he was with Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4. At this, the administrators, the other two, and the satraps, 120 of them, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against the man Daniel unless 
It has something to do with the law of his God. We can't use corruption. There isn't any. We will use his faithfulness against him. So imagine Darius, and he's being informed as he puts Belshazzar to death. The, the, quick over, the takeover was the quickest in world history. As I said, they had surrounded Jerusalem. Um, they are Jerusalem. Babylon, they had drained the Euphrates rivers, which went through the, the west edge of the city. And they literally walked the Persian, Medo-Persian army in and took over. They kill Belshazzar. Darius immediately walks up to the platform and sits on the throne. And his, his informants are starting to tell him about what has happened here, actually, in the last four or five hours. That we're hearing reports, reports that a god came down from heaven and he wrote on the wall and, and everyone was trembling with fear. And there was one man who was brought before them who has the the spirit of the gods in him, and he says, it says, tikil, tikil, mean Persian. And, and then he explained what it meant, and the, this Belshazzar, who didn't even know who he was, makes him the first under him in the kingdom, and Darius says, okay, when I get administrators, I want an insider. He's going to be one of my insiders. He's going to be an administrator. I'm going to put him in position. Because there's also whisperings from his, his, um, the, the king's grandmother that this man who was faithful to King Nebuchadnezzar his entire reign. So I want to bring him in and see if he'll be faithful to me. And he is so immediately, noticeably faithful that he says, take Daniel and put him over everyone but me. And the jealousy sets in. There's probably a lot of Medes and Persians here saying, why is this Jew over us when we rule over Jerusalem? So they plot a plan that begins, verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the, de the, the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty... Issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Ladies, remember that language from the book of Esther? Same language here. The lawmakers, the kingmakers, are these people that are brought into this situation. Once he signs this, the king couldn't change it if he wanted to. Verse 9. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. 
we're going to kill anyone who prays to anything, anyone, anywhere, except Darius. Daniel, what are you going to do? I'm going to do what I always do. I had a weird thought in studying this week. If, if you were trying to find Daniel, you could pull his pant legs up because he would have had calloused knees. Because three times every day of his life, he got down on his knees and prayed to God. And, and I, don't, I don't think you have to be on your knees to pray to God, but I would recommend trying that this week. Just putting yourself in that position as you talk to God about things that are important to you. And, and you begin to understand it's uncomfortable. It's painful for someone with knees like me. But it's intentional. It, it is a, a lowering of the prayer and, a, and an exalting of the one being prayed to. So 122 people in the king's administration turn on one individual. They create a law that is going to convict Daniel. Daniel, just shut the windows. Daniel, just go in the basement and pray. Daniel's response is, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that a Persian king isn't going to tell me how to worship the God of heaven. And he does exactly what he has always done. Reading on verse 14, or excuse me, yeah, verse 14. Actually, I could pick it up in verse 11. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel doing what? Praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human except be, human being except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. In accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, they know exactly who he is, unlike Esther, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He has, in a few months' time, developed an appreciation, a respect, and, and I dare say, a seeking of God through Daniel. He has, like Nebuchadnezzar, been told about God, told about his sovereignty, his rule, and that he will accept anyone from any kingdom who follows him. And he is growing closer to this individual named Daniel. They say, oh, king, remember the decree that you did? Well, Daniel disobeys you. Let's throw him in the lion's den. And the king is so upset 
that the rest of the day he's thinking, how can I get out of this? How can I change this decree? How can we come up with a new law? How can I? I can't. What are we going to do? Verse 16, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, listen to this. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Wouldn't that be a joy to hear that today? Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. We're going to think more about the size of this place, this cave with a rock over it that has lions that are intentionally hungry by their masters, the Medes and the Persians, they throw this, you know, when you think of the picture, Selah and I were talking about this this morning, Daniel's like 80 or 81 years old. They're dropping a very old man into a pit, and that pit is full of lions that haven't been fed. And they are used to being fed by people who cross the king. So they are familiar with humans and what they taste like even. And Daniel is thrown in there. The king goes back to his house. No, I don't want supper. I don't want anything. I don't want entertainment. And he laid awake all night long. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? In a calmer voice, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in the sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. My God sent who? Jesus. The angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord in the Bible. A hundred percent of the time that it says the angel of the Lord, it's referring to pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of Man, the sovereign one over all creation, created everything, purchased everything, so that by the time that we get to Daniel chapter 7, which is written well before this chapter, we see in Daniel 7.13 the Son of Man exalted to the highest position. When they went into the fire in Daniel chapter 3, just a, a few years into their captivity, what does Nebuchadnezzar see? He leaps to his feet and says, we're not there three men that we threw into the fire. Yes, your majesty. Then why is there four and one of them looks like the Son of Man? went into the fire 
Jesus did. Who went into the lions? The lion did. The lions from the tribe of Judah went into the lion's den, sat down next to Daniel, and ruled over the lions. And this 80-year-old man dropped into a pit, left for dead. Nothing can be changed. This situation is changed by the only one who can change it. Jesus Christ goes into that tomb with Daniel, sits down with him, and is there with him as Daniel says, no, nothing has actually happened to me. May your king live forever because my God sent his angel and I am just fine. Imagine what the conversations they may have had that night, Daniel and Jesus. Verse 19, or verse 23. Actually, before we go there, let's go to John chapter 5, where John is writing about Jesus, the judge. Remember the, the writing on the wall, mean, mean, tikil, person. You have been put on the God's scales and been found wanting, Daniel says to Belshazzar. We just read here, Daniel was put on God's scales and he was justified. He was declared innocent. In John chapter 5, Jesus is in a, a heated, difficult moment in his ministry where the, the Jews who want to kill him are trying to attack him verbally and and stand with Moses, but not Jesus. And he says to them, picking it up in verse 26, John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him, uh, given him authority to judge because he is who? The Son of Man. Where does that title in the Bible come from? Daniel 7.13. The book of Daniel is where we get the most authoritative name for Jesus Christ in the Bible, the Son of Man. What does Daniel see in Daniel chapter 7? He sees Jesus at the point of the start of the tribulation coming to the Father, sitting on his throne with a scroll with writing on both sides that determines everything that will happen from that moment, and Jesus comes and takes it from his hand. In Revelation chapter 5, we see the exact same scene, and John sees Jesus come up, and he takes the scroll, and before he takes the scroll, John is crying, saying, who, who could ever open this? Who could break the seals? And he said, he is worthy because he is the Son of Man, because he has purchased them with his blood. So Daniel is the place where that is born out of. Daniel is the place where Christ shows up twice to the, the three friends of Daniel in chapter 3. And we see that here. Turn to Acts as long as we're in the New Testament real quick. Chapter 17. The proof, the ultimate proof that Jesus has the right and the authority to do all of this is that he rose from the grave. That's why the resurrection is the most important question that people have to answer. So Paul is at the Areopagus speaking to Athenian rulers, the, the thinkers and philosophers and astrologers in Athens. 
And in verse um, 31, at the end of his message, which, by the way, if we read on, people got saved here in an unusual place. After they heard this, verse 31, For he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, God is just and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And he will do this, Paul will go on to say, when he returns in his glory. So back to the book of Daniel, we see that the authority of all authority, according to the Bible, is the one who goes into the lion's den with Daniel, who could have literally said, Shut your mouth, guys. I've often wondered when, when Jesus is in the manger and the, the farm animals, if they were actually around him, they probably knew who he was. And I don't know, I'd have to think about it, but who, who, do, who do you think was in the lion's pit first? Daniel? Jesus and I would bet with all the supernatural things that were going on when Paul says things like all creation is growing waiting for the renewal of all things there's some link there that these lions know who he is and they sit they're hungry and they sit Back to Daniel chapter 6, we pick it up in verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Then, and, and if we stop right there for a minute, how big is this thing? We're talking about 122 men and their families are thrown in here and they don't make it to the floor. How many lions are there? How, maybe it was systematic. Maybe they did some at a time. But the point is that they're telling everyone watching, not just Darius, that whoever was in there with Daniel is over all, all of us, including you, Darius. So verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in, the, in all the earth, He's a subordinate ruler to Cyrus. He is like Belshazzar in chapter 5, where Nebuchadnezzar is actually the king. Cyrus is actually the king here. And his subordinate, a governor under him, is writing this letter under the king out to the whole world, saying, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Paul would say, make him your Lord. 
for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I don't know theologically what all Darius knows here, but this language all points to the Son of God. His kingdom, his dominion. Daniel has already written this about 14 years earlier in Daniel chapter 7 that he is coming to establish a kingdom. He is the son of man. He will rule and reign forever and his kingdom will never end. So this has already been written by Daniel, probably read by Darius, and Darius is connecting dots that whoever he was writing about there is the one that went into the den and rescued him and he's real. I think Darius has probably either believed or wanted to believe in God for a while because it, it tore him up that Daniel was thrown in here. And now he's been affirmed. Now he's repented. Now he has said, this king is over me. In fact, he is over everyone. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So we see their names simultaneous there, put together. Cyrus is the king over the, the whole empire. Darius is the king over Babylon. What is the significance in this world when you look in the timing of this? Isaiah, more than a century before this, says that God will anoint Cyrus to rebuild his kingdom. Cyrus is over Darius. Darius sees the Son of God rescue Daniel, sends out a decree. This is effectively the end of Daniel's ministry. He writes some more prophecies in a, in a pretty quick amount of time after this. Turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1. When you put all of this together you realize Daniel has been in Babylon by the end of this chapter about 67 years. But in this year, the second kingdom in all three of the prophecies about the kingdoms has taken place, has taken its position, just as Daniel has prophesied all the way from Daniel 2, early in his ministry, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, that's written down. Now that has come true. Darius is the person who steps into that prophecy as the second part under Cyrus. Daniel, during this time, while he is praying and being arrested for praying, he receives a letter from Jeremiah the prophet saying that the captivity will last 70 years. Ezra is a captive in Babylon during this time. Daniel is rescued from the lion's den. He is given the 77s, and he obviously communicates to Ezra 70 years. It's year 68, Ezra. But how are they going to do this? The world is ruled by Persia. Daniel knows, and he's sure 
in two years, they're going to rebuild the temple. And Ezra is sure, he has the same relationship with God that Daniel does, that evidently we're going back to rebuild the temple in two years. And like Mary, they're thinking, okay, God, I believe you, but how is this going to happen? And Darius makes this proclamation, and the person over him has his heart touched by God. And we read that in Ezra 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is happening at the same time as Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 9. The first year of Cyrus is the first year of Darius. They're all in this one year. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. You know how I think he moved it? And this is not, I'm not saying this is how he did. Here's how I think he moved his heart. He rescued Daniel from the lion's den. Darius makes a proclamation. Cyrus comes into the scene and sees the evidence of God. And God moves his heart. Understand, this is happening within days of each other. And God moves his heart, verse 2. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And of his people among you, any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them and in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of the God of Jerusalem. How much, I can't say for sure. But it seems to me, all of this comes back to an 80-year-old man who refuses to stop praying. Because he refuses to stop praying, he is thrown into the lion's den. Jesus goes in there to rescue him. Darius recognizes who it is that rescued Daniel. God moves the heart of Cyrus. Jesus' throne on earth is rebuilt by a Persian king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's not about me being Daniel. It's about me being faithful. In the words of the song when I was a little boy, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have his purpose served, dare to make it known. That song is, is a truth song about a man who was resolved to give his life to you from boyhood to death and the world was changed because of it. Help our goal not necessarily to be to 
the one who changes the world, but to be the one who is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of Father, through Jesus the Son.